0: Now the host of Disability Matters,
1: here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. And once again, it's National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And it is so great to receive so many comments from all of you. Hey, we want to be employed like everyone else. We want paychecks, not pity. We want careers. So thank you. I couldn't do it without all of you and your great support. And you are going to love our guest today. I know I do. I really do. And I feel we are so blessed to have him right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He is Chair and Distinguished Professor of the Department of Rehabilitation, Science, and Technology, and Professor of Bioengineering, Mechanical Engineering, physical medicine and rehab, and orthopedic surgery for the University of Pittsburgh, and leader in Paralyzed Veterans of America. He is an author, speaker, known internationally, and was my co-chair with me on Allegheny 365. You probably already know him. Welcome to the show, Dr. Rory Cooper.
0: Well, thank you, Joyce. It's a pleasure to be, uh, to be back on your show.
1: Well, it is an honor always to have you with us. I want to say one thing about Roy before we get going here. You know, there are so many people with these incredible successes and academic, uh, proudness and just so distinguished in the country and internationally. And sometimes, you know what? They forget about everyone else i got to tell you, that's not Rory. He really gets down and dirty to help everyone, no matter what level they're at. He is truly genuine. He's the real deal. He's a great leader for all of us. And, Rory, you are such a great professor and have such a distinguished career at the University of Pittsburgh. How about if you tell our listeners about what you, what you have done at Pitt?
0: Okay, I'll give it a try. Um, Well, I chair the Department of Rehabilitation Science and Technology at the University of Pittsburgh, as well as direct the Human Engineering Research Laboratories, which is one of the VA's Center of Excellence for Rehabilitation Research and Development. And uh, my own research is primarily in developing assistive technology to help people with disabilities to fully participate in society. But our um, our programs offer research programs, uh, academic training programs, and, uh, and clinical services as well. Joyce, so as you know my wife, Rosie, who makes a, a lot of my work possible, is the director of the Center for Assistive Technology for the University of Pittsburgh and for UPMC Health System. And she actually helps keep me quite grounded by seeing over 3,000 clients uh, each year for their assistive technology needs. Uh, We have about 200 students in our program uh, pursuing degrees in either physician assistance or rehabilitation counseling, prosthetics and orthotics, um, or rehabilitation technology or disability studies. As such, we have a a broad and talented group of faculty. There's about 30 of us. And um, we represent the disciplines of physical, occupational therapy, rehabilitation counseling, psychology, political science, orthotics, prosthetics, physician assistance, and engineering. And uh, we work closely with the Department of Physical Medicine Rehab at the University of Pittsburgh as well. And of course, we are uh, uh, closely associated with the Department of Veterans Affairs. And uh, one of the probably unique things about, about our VA center and our department is that we have a high percentage of, of people with disabilities who are on the faculty and staff and are, are also students doing research because uh, there's really no better way to do research or to teach than uh, to do it in an inclusive manner. Uh, people with disabilities are at the core of everything we do. Uh, they're a big part of our, our success. And, uh, so we, uh, encourage them uh, to prefer, pr- pursue professional degrees and, uh, we, t- we try to keep the very best to be, uh, to be on our faculty.
1: And you have, let me tell you what, I lo- you know the point he made. He, he has people there like Kate Seelman, who is known once again, internationally, but definitely in the United States, because during the Clinton administration, she was heading up NIDRR, and uh, is a woman with hearing loss, and just as Rory uses a chair, there are different people at the school with various disabilities in these positions, and I think that makes such a difference, I really do. Uh, we have a Stephanie from Connecticut with a question for you here, uh, Rory, and it is, uh, as you probably know, whether it's Harvard or MIT, many departments and research programs often look throughout the world for best practices if they're going to start a new program. Did you at the University of Pittsburgh look at other initiatives before you started your area in rehabilitative engineering?
0: Well, that's a great question, Stephanie. And, uh, yes, uh, we started the, uh, the program formally started in 1991 when our dean, uh, Clifford Rubaker came from the University of Virginia to the University of Pittsburgh. And, uh, Cliff, uh, was himself a, a distinguished rehabilitation engineer. And, uh, he helped form our department, which was formed in 1994. And our faculty came from various places: from uh, uh, University of uh, Alberta, Edmonton, in Canada, and University of um, Tennessee in Memphis, and in California, State University in Sacramento, and University of Virginia, and Strathclyde. So we brought faculty in order from all over the world, essentially, to, to start the program. And at the, so we brought those experiences from the. the uh, the various programs we had come from, as well as we looked at other prominent programs in the United States and around the world, and indeed we still do that today, and we have collaborations through friends and actually now through alumni with uh, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, uh, the UK, um, several countries in Europe, China, Korea, Japan, Australia, and uh, and what's great about it is our we have students uh, from around the world, as well as actually several faculty from uh, international faculty as well. So we still uh, maintain that practice of looking at what are the uh, best programs around the world and trying to collaborate with them and um, and assimilate their their good ideas into our program. Uh,
1: it's so funny your. Talking about this, I'm going to move this question up from an Indira uh, in the state of Washington, and the question is: uh, Could you share with us what your division is doing, your department, with other third world developing countries? I realize education is key in your area. However, if individuals in those countries do not have access, even to a wheelchair, I'm wondering how you do this.
0: That's a great question, too. Uh, So uh, there are about uh, 70 million people in the world who need wheelchairs. Wow. uh, 70
1: million?
0: There's about 70 million people in the world that need wheelchairs. And there's uh, only about 6 million wheelchairs produced each year. Uh, and an average wheelchair lasts about three years uh, on a worldwide basis. So one of the significant problems is uh, there aren't even enough wheelchairs produced. If you think a wheelchair lasts three years, you could only that's only 18 million wheelchairs produced in a three-year period. They can't even address the 70 million people who need them. So we've been working um, really almost since our department was started, in, in, in some cases like myself and Kate Steelman and others, even before we joined the department, that, uh, in developing countries and working with USAID and the World Health Organization and local programs, uh, one of the great things is through our students, we have been able to make an impact in in India and Korea and Brazil and, and Mexico, a little bit to a, a little lesser extent in, um in Africa. But uh, how we've helped is by developing uh, clinics in these areas, training students to go back to their home countries and help uh, provide services and manufacture technologies. We work with a, a number of uh, different organizations like uh, you know, World whirlwind Wheelchair out of San Francisco and, and Motivate and um, a number of other uh, free wheelchair mission and a number of other charitable organizations that also provide wheelchairs around the world. Um, and then we do a number of uh, educational programs. Uh, for matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, I will be traveling to India for the Indian Seating Symposium, which is being organized by by one of our alumni. Uh, and we hold uh, international seating symposium in the United States, Canada, um, Europe. Uh, Asia, uh, in this case India, uh, as well as South America, where we bring expertise from around the world to help, uh, uh, promote, uh, better services and opportunities for people with disabilities by training both clinicians, uh, caregivers and, uh, and people with disabilities themselves. But so it's an important part of what we do. Uh, we also test and develop technologies for the, Developing world. Um, we've worked with, like, the Artificial Limbs of India Manufacturing Company on on wheelchair designs, or currently working on a, um, a lightweight, low-cost power chair for developing countries, and also a an pediatric chair for developing countries as well. So that's something that's important to us as well. We understand our responsibility. Um, as being uh, fortunate to live in the United States to, to help individuals that live in uh, low-income countries to someday, hopefully, uh, have the same quality of life that we do.
1: You know that is tragic. Did I understand you right? Seven o seventy million.
0: Yes, you did. That's correct. Yeah, there's about seventy million people in the world. So you can think about that. There's. There's nearly 50 million people in the world who um, whose mobility is severely restricted or have no mobility at all uh, because they don't have access to, to any kind of wheelchair. Um, and what makes the situation in some ways more tragic is uh, they don't, uh, even a large number of people that have access to a wheelchair don't have access to an appropriate wheelchair. So uh,
1: so if you had an organization, a global organization, that would be willing to uh, get these wheelchairs to wherever they needed, you still wouldn't solve the problem because you don't have enough wheelchairs to get to wherever they need to go.
0: That's correct. There's not enough wheelchairs currently manufactured in the world to meet the world's demand.
1: That's, See, that's for all of you, and I, you, if you use a chair, you'll know what I'm talking about. But even right here in the United States, um, I know from one of the not-for-profits that I'm involved with, Variety, the children's charity provides uh, bikes that, you know, are accessible, which they've modified, um, or vans. But they also provide wheelchairs. And people would say, what do you mean they provide chairs? Well, there are people right here in Pittsburgh, children, that do not have uh, a wheelchair that is suited for them. You know, because you have a chair at one age, as you grow older, you need another chair. So, you know, so if it's like that right here, I can't even imagine how it's like, what it's like in other parts of the world.
0: Right. That's That was my point. When you talk about appropriate wheelchairs, the problem is even more severe because even in developing countries, I mean, in, in well-developed countries or high-economic countries like the United States, there's a large number of people that don't have uh, access to appropriate wheelchairs or service delivery systems.
1: Unbelievable. Uh, well, it's good you're that, you know, the, as, as Rory said, we all need to pay it forward. I, I really believe that. We're blessed with so many things being here. Uh, I'm an example. I have epilepsy, but I have access to medication, whereas there are people in other parts of the world that do not have any access to medication, which means they have ongoing seizures, which means they frequently have terrible accidents, as I did, you know, but there I was uh, a doctor nearby, you know, sophisticated hospitals to have brain surgery. But imagine if you're in a third-world country and you don't have anything. So um, I always want to do everything I can for the Epilepsy Foundation and the local foundation, uh, but really for all people with disabilities, we have to remember that just having access to chairs or medication or uh, video relay whatever it is speech recognition software uh, think what it's like for others and Roy since we're talking about global issues at Pitt how many international students graduate from your program um,
0: that tends to vary but our, our doctoral program is uh, pretty close to half of our, do- our students are international students uh, same is true in rehabilitation technology. In the more clinical programs, uh, it's a lesser lesser percentage. But uh, overall, uh, we we probably um, graduate ten to twenty of, of international students each year.
1: Now, when they go back to their country, if they do go back to their country, how are they received? Here they have a PhD and, and yet a significant disability. How how are they received?
0: Uh, that's a good question. So when they uh, so a large percentage of them do go back or wish to go back, those with disabilities um, are uh, face significant challenges when they when they try to return home, and and many of them actually wind up coming back to the United States or staying in the United States. Um, Although we have had some that have gone back and, and been very successful in, uh, in changing the policies of their home, home countries, the, uh, I mean, the, the challenge is that they go back and they're educated. I, now we, I'll give you an example. We had uh, one of our students, Jyoti, she went back to India, and we worked with her to help create the Assistive Technology Center at the Indian Spinal Injury Centers. And then she expanded that to, to start uh, reaching out to various uh, grassroots disability organizations in India, and as well as uh, service organizations like Rotary, and getting them to uh, help support, understand the needs of people with disabilities in India, and helping to support that. And through that, she was able to sort of create a matching fund to help people get get wheelchairs. So. Some of our students go back and are very successful. We had another student who went back to, uh, to Russia, and she uh, was also advocating for uh, uh, better uh, provision of services and higher quality wheelchairs in, in, uh, in Russia and in other former Soviet Union countries. Uh, other cases, it doesn't—it doesn't go so. Uh, it's, it's more difficult. The the uh, Students, they, they, as they spend time in the United States, they learn about how much, uh, how much freedom we actually do have as people with disabilities in order to be able to accessibility and, and employment and support systems. And they find it uh, difficult to go back to a life uh, where uh, the environment is physically and socially less uh, accessible
1: and they are much more
0: dependent upon others.
1: So in those cases, wow. Well, well, you know, it's so amazing what's going on, and I really admire those students that are going back to create change, but at the same time I could understand why there are students that would not want to go back. Why I say that is if we have a problem in the United States with attitudinal barriers, and people gaining employment, I cannot imagine what it's like in some of those countries. So, you know, my hat's off to Jody, because that's an amazing accomplishment, um, you know, under those circumstances. But, Rory, I am and have been and was so excited to co-chair with you Allegheny 365. As a matter of fact, uh, Governor Markell in Delaware, who, you know, most people that disagree disability community have heard how he's the chair of the governor's association in the united states and made his initiative the employment of people with disabilities and what's more amazing is he does not have a child or a relative or he himself does not have a disability but he was at a company in delaware and met a young uh, man with an intellectual disability that was telling him how he, He had a job in a distribution center, and how it used to be that he would do nothing except be at home on the couch, and now he has a purpose. He gets to go to work, and it had such an impact on him. He made this. Every governor gets to have an initiative, and he made his the employment of people with disabilities, and when I told them about what we did here in the county just the other day, you know, they at some point would like to come here and talk to us about what we did. So, you know, that really thrilled me to hear that. Um, but I was uh, employment, and I'm going to let you, Rory, talk about what you did as my co-chair.
0: Well, Joyce, it was a, a pleasure to be a co-chair with you on the Allegheny 365 Committee. And it was uh, a <clears throat> remarkable and, I think, uh, admirable that. The county of Allegheny would form such a committee and be so forward-looking. Uh, my role was that you know, we split the uh, committee responsibilities into uh, sort of um, barriers to employment and then um, more or less uh, physical barriers as well. And so the the, so the the responsibilities that I assumed were for the uh, identifying um, with, um, I guess physical communication uh, and other barriers uh, to um, receiving services and employment and Allegheny County. Um, so we looked at things like um, physical access, ramps and doorways and elevators and that sort of thing, uh, but we also looked at signage, we looked at information access, uh, websites, uh, the knowledge among staff, there of course, as you know, there was a lot of overlapping uh, areas as well because uh, it, you, in order, to, you have to know about a job and you have to be able to get to a job in order to be able to hold the job, and that was, uh, uh, of course, related to that as well. And that uh, I think we both concluded that the committee as a whole, I guess, concluded that. Uh, There needed to be a champion within our county government for that as well. So, Of course, one of our recommendations was an Office of Employment, Accessibility, and Inclusion within our uh, county executive's office. And um, I think we try to be very concrete, uh, looking at historically what had been done, uh, but there were certainly some uh, gaps. City up in the northeast, uh, we, uh, for example, we've experienced some pretty empty snowstorms in recent years. And so that, again, uh, exposed us to needs for our emergency management plan. Uh, we, uh, um, looked at things that as how the county was doing and implementing ADA standards. And in some cases, how can we go beyond ADA standards? One of the challenges that the ADA and the access guidelines is that uh, they are only updated uh, periodically, and sometimes uh, challenges are are overlooked or not fully understood at the time the guidelines come out, or new challenges can arise in the meantime. And so looking at things that might help facilitate further access.
1: Well, you already mentioned your group came up with the directive um, of having an office in the county on accessibility what were a couple of the other major directives uh, a couple of the other ones
0: was the uh, have, to have the executive director identify specific goals and time frames to increasing the hiring of individuals with disabilities uh, you know much like the uh, president's executive order of hiring uh, people with disabilities in the federal government uh we can achieve more uh, on addressing the high-end employment among people with disabilities uh, through um, county and municipal government as well, so of course that was one of our items. And you know, Naturally, we have to increase employment within the private sector as well. Um, we also felt it was important to develop and implement comprehensive training plan for employees with respect to the Americans with Disabilities Act. Because it's not only physical barriers, but there are attitudinal and social barriers that are sometimes greater hurdles to employment and full integration of people with disabilities than physical barriers. And oftentimes, we think when we think of of ADA uh, and other civil rights legislation, we think of removing some of those uh, physical or communication barriers. But um, it's not easy. Uh, and then I would argue it's probably impossible with legislation to change people's attitudes. And the only way that we can really do that is by, uh, by training and by having more people with disabilities in the workforce so that people's perceptions of people with disabilities, um, change and become uh, more accurate than the fact that, uh, we make good employees, uh, and we are like other people and that, uh, We all have a lot more in common than we have, uh, different.
1: You know, I love that one, that one thing you said, Rory. I tell people that all the time. Training, uh, seminars, all these things are good. But it will not change the work face of America until you have people with disabilities working at the company or agency, or school, whatever it is. that's. It's just like for women and people of color, it wasn't until people were working side by side that you really started to see change. Because even this morning when I spoke here at Pittsburgh to a corporation and asked, what do you think is the number one barrier? They said, fear. I said, of what? I don't know, just fear. And I said, well, that fear is either based on I don't understand this so it bothers me or oh no is that that woman had a seizure is that going to be me I mean I, you know I can't figure out exactly what it is but that barrier won't come down until you're working with people uh side by side and see as Rory said they have more in common with you than different from you so I I agree with you comple- completely about that um We're going to take a short break right now, and then we'll come back with Rory. If you just joined us, we are talking to Dr. Rory Cooper from the University of Pittsburgh. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters, at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it.
1: VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about.
0: Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most.
1: And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back and welcome to National Disability Employment Awareness Month, which by the way, if it would be up to me, I'd change that name to National Disability Employment Month. Forget about that awareness part. Um, But welcome, welcome. We have as our guest today Dr. Rory Cooper from the University of Pittsburgh. And Before I go further, I wanted to mention to you that next week or the week after, we are going to try to have someone from the White House on the show talking about Disability Employment Month and some of these other issues. So make sure you stay tuned. It is going to be amazing. Um, as it is right now with Rory Cooper, who we were just talking about, Allegheny 365. Um, so, Rory, how, how do you think is it feasible to implement this in other cities? I'm sorry, here in in this city. <coughs>
0: Well, I think I'd answer both on on, yes on both counts. I think it's feasible to implement it in our our county, and um, I would hope that the city would uh, adopt a similar plan as to the county. And I um, I think it's an excellent model, actually, for other other counties uh, to follow, and for that matter, other cities to follow. I think that uh, I mean the committee really put. A lot of effort, we had very broad perspectives uh represented on the committee and um, i th- and we did it i think you know we did a uh concentrated or uh, concerted effort to to collect information around the uh, from around the United States on what other programs people other programs cities and counties had implemented and try to capture that in our plan so uh, I think that um, it's a good plan. It's a good plan for for Allegheny County in Western Pennsylvania, and I think it's a good plan for many many cities and counties around the United States.
1: I do too, and we plan on making sure we get that known across the United States. So I agree with you, Rory. I want to uh, move to another topic that I know is very near and dear to your heart as you are a veteran, and that would be the unemployment of veterans with disabilities. Uh, as most of you probably know, with the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, the number one injuries because of the explosions and IEDs have been uh, traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder. In addition, of course, to other disabilities, but those two areas—and it's so sad because so many people have this injury when they return—are having the most difficult time gaining employment. Um, so, Rory, tell us what you think about that and what we could try to do to change the employment situation in those areas.
0: Well, I mean, when I first think about it, it's it's. Um... I mean, it's a shame and we need to certainly address the issue veterans um i mean it's important for america's success for all people uh to be uh, employed who are uh are capable and interested and especially to be inclusive of people with disabilities i think it's specific it's particularly troubling when we have uh veterans who um Especially post 9 11 era veterans who join an all volunteer force. Um, there's less than 1% of the country is serving in uniform. Uh, less than 7% of living Americans have ever served in uniform. And um, it's a high, you know, it's one of the highest forms of service, especially when you know that you're going to be serving at a time. Of war when uh, you're basically at a high probability putting your own life at risk and you're doing so to protect the rights and freedoms of others. I, I think what we need to do for our veterans is um, one I think um, those veterans with disabilities should certainly reach out to the VA through the vocational rehabilitation and education programs and um, through the National Resource Directory and through the Department of Labor programs all have programs to assist veterans and veterans with disabilities in seeking employment. I think those uh, employers that have jobs should strongly uh, consider hiring veterans um, as, long, as well as other people with disabilities in order to improve the quality of their workforce as well as to improve the diversity in their workforce, uh, I think. Uh, you know, Joyce, do your own work, you know, that, that people with disabilities make excellent employees. Uh, veterans and veterans with disabilities have many of the same characteristics of people with disabilities and employees about being reliable and, um, and, and staying with the job and, uh, you know, essentially putting the mission first and getting the job done well. And, uh, and veterans understand the quality, the, the importance of, of service. The um, I think the other thing is that you know veterans with disabilities, especially post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury, uh, uh, face the fear among the employers, uh, largely because I think of misconceptions of how those impairments affect people, and uh, so I think it's uh, where the case where they need to have to educate themselves as employers. Uh, especially people in the human resources area and, um, and work with, uh, with the VA and healthcare professionals and other, um, state and federal agencies. I'd also like to point out to veterans that, uh, you know, not being a veteran all, doesn't preclude you from participating in, uh, programs open to all people with disabilities such as the State Office of Vocational Rehabilitation on other such programs that uh, have uh, um, excellent services that can be provided to people with disabilities.
1: Yeah, here's what I have to say about this. All right, here's this person, male or female, they don't know you at all, and yet they're willing to put their life on the line for you, for your freedom. So they have a disability, they come back, and we can't hire them? That is just shameful. That's terrible. I spoke to a federal agency uh, in one of the cities where you know how you have offices for every every uh, federal agency, they have offices across the United States. They are not all in Washington, D.C. That's where they have their major office, but I mean, they have little offices across the country. And I was at one of those locations, and I spoke to people, about 100 people from two different federal agencies. And I'll never forget this, when a woman raised her hand and said, you know, I I have to say something, though. People, like with veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. Are we really expected to hire them when you have to be able to handle stress? I mean, I I couldn't believe it. uh, There was someone there on the panel with me that spoke up and said, well, first of all, just so you know, there's someone working at the White House with post-traumatic stress disorder, and I assure you it's very stressful at the White House. Your problem is you don't understand post-traumatic stress disorder, and number two, that shouldn't even be an issue. The only issue should be, can the person do the job? And I say to you, you don't understand post-traumatic stress disorder. Just as you don't understand bipolar uh, disorder or epilepsy or many other, you know, disabilities of this nature, you have to make an accommodation, and give the person a chance. But what do you think about that, Rory?
0: Well, I think you're you're right on target. The it I guess it goes back to sort of earlier conversation. It's it's a lot of times it's people's misperceptions and misunderstandings. So they're they're both you know some uneducated and they're also um, inexperienced. And working with people with disabilities, including post-traumatic stress or TBI or, like I said, bipolar or, or epilepsy and a number of those conditions. So people sort of project how they think those conditions would affect them or they have some, you know, very limited and perhaps incorrect understanding. And so there's only, only, only a couple ways to fix that, and that's to provide uh, training to employers – about people with disabilities including veterans with disabilities training to people with disabilities including veterans with disabilities so that they are employable they have the job skills needed and then placing people uh, in jobs so that you have people with and without disabilities working side by side just like you said with uh, you know the attitudes towards women in the workplace didn't start to change until there were more women in the workplace or are people of color in the workplace. And, and our, our problem by and large for people with disabilities is that there are not enough of us in, uh, education. Uh, there are not enough of us in the workplace. And right. so uh, we, you know, we have to really push hard, uh, to get both people with disabilities to continue to seek the job skills to become employable and employers to hire them and not only hire them but retain them and promote them as well right because you can't really make progress I mean I think the greatest impact that a person with a disability can have on an employment setting is uh, to be promoted to a, a position of authority uh, or and responsibility uh, where people are reporting to them that if you want to see attitudes change is Is when the person with a disability themselves is, is the boss.
1: Oh, that is so true because I ever, you know, I started Bender in 1995 and every time I hire someone and then find them employment in another company, I always tell them, remember, my goal is not just to find you employment. My goal is for you to move up into, uh, management and then you hire other people with disabilities. That's my goal. Because people with disabilities, they need to be assimilated in the workforce, but they need to move up in their career, just as you said, Rory, if you want to really see change. I mean, there was a time when what would you hear? You know, those women, they're just taking men's jobs. And then African-Americans, you know, they're taking uh, our father or uncle's jobs. And so I haven't heard this yet about us. You know why? There hasn't been enforcement to get us hired. But I'm sure if 503 is enforced, that we'll be hearing that next. But you know what? I'd be happy to hear that because that would mean we were being noticed and hired and employed. So, Rory, we have a lot of veterans that listen to this show, specifically with disabilities. Do you have any message you would like to uh, uh, extend to them?
0: Well, first... I'd like to you know say thank you for your service and and for your uh, your your patriotism and your commitment to America and, and for all that you've done to to protect our our freedom and our way of life and to be ambassadors for the United States and around the world i'd also like to encourage them to to uh, just you know hang in there support each other and seek employment uh, I think that's a uh, Employment is, in many ways, the key to a uh, to a successful life, uh, or at least a key component of having a successful life. And not to forget about uh, education. And we have the post nine eleven GI Bill, which is a a, a a wonderful opportunity. I think it's it's really only second to the uh, the post World War two GI Bill, and we saw how that changed the face of America. It actually even at that time had a significant impact on employment of, of veterans with disabilities. It led to many key pieces of legislation like the Rehab Act of 1973 and the Americans with Disability Act. And so, you know, we have a program at, at University of Pittsburgh uh, called Elevate Experiential Learning for Veterans in Engineering and Assistive Technology. Uh, we also, and there's uh, other several programs around the country of supporting veterans uh, with support from the National Science Foundation and the Department of Veterans Affairs. Many universities are now creating offices for, um, veterans on campus. Uh, University of Pittsburgh has one of those. And Student Veterans of America is doing a great thing. And so I would encourage, um, obviously I have education helped me personally. I, I was an enlisted soldier when I was an injured and I, so I received all of my education post injury. And, um, I think having an education you know, improves your opportunities, uh, for employment and it will improve your opportunities for greater lifetime income. And so, if you do want to move up in a company, education is certainly a way to do that. Um, if, you know, if a four year degree or an advanced degree is, is not your uh, cup of tea, um, there's certainly a number of job training programs that are excellent out there. And, um, I would certainly explore them and take advantage of them. But um, you, uh, I think veterans have a tremendous amount to contribute to America. Uh, that, that's evidenced by their um, selfless service in joining the military, and becoming a part of that brotherhood and sisterhood. And I think that they have tremendous potential to um, to help keep America a uh, a vibrant uh, country and a a beacon of hope for many people around the world.
1: Right. And I'm going to tell you, I have interviewed veterans with disabilities that come back from this war that have said to me, I can't believe it, you know, I was in the, in the military, I was in charge of, you know, purchasing or whatever it is, and I had all these people reporting to me, now I go try to find employment and people don't, you know, care about that and they don't want to hire me. Listen, we already deal with that just as people with disabilities, but what you have to do is you have to be the empowerment person. You have to go out and make it happen. You have to take advantage of things such as this GI Bill or other training out there because, trust me, no one will come to save you. You have to just go out and make it happen don't give up. I know too many people fall into depression and, you know, and I can understand why after you've done this for our country, but uh, there are those of us that care about you and want you to succeed. So, you know, I just want to say don't give up ever. So Rory, you have accomplished so much in your career. As a matter of fact, uh, do you want to mention the recent book you wrote?
0: Well, my most recent book was uh, The Warrior Transition Leader Medical Rehabilitation Handbook, which I co-edited with uh, uh, Ron Drock and Paul Pesquina. Ron is himself um, uh, an amputee from uh, the Vietnam Army veteran who worked actually for the VA for a while and disabled American veterans, but spent most of his career with the Department of Labor, working on uh, veterans' employment programs. And then um, the other co-editor is Colonel Paul Pasquina, who is currently on active duty. He's an OIF veteran, and he's the uh, Chief of Physical Medicine and Rehab and Orthopedic Surgery at the Reed National Military Medical Center. And the uh, book is uh, was actually published by the Borden Institute of the Office of the Surgeon General of the United States Army, and, it's geared towards, uh, helping, uh, service members, uh, who have various uh, disabilities and their families and, uh, and their commanders who tend to be, uh, you know, non-medical leaders, uh, to understand the medical rehabilitation process and to learn about resiliency and suicide risk and the value of assistive technology and how sports, recreation and the arts can help uh, with people in reintegration, employment, various employment programs, education programs. So understand because it's a uh, uh, it's one of the challenges that veterans face when they acquire a disability is they acquire them as an adult, and so they need to defi- uh, redefine their own perception of self, and they need to learn about a lot of programs and resources that are there to help for help them, and they. Uh, you know they don't have a um, a lifetime to do that, and so the book is designed to to help uh, make that assist to help with assist with that, and it's it's designed as a handbook. Uh, it'll fit in the, in the pocket of uh, of your of the camouflage uh, you know chemies. and um, if, or something to have on the desk as a reference item. And uh, my understanding is that 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 uh, nearly 5,000 copies have been distributed. Uh, to all branches of the service, and uh, and that it's uh, and, and I'm you know pleased that I've received a lot of positive comments from from uh, service members and families and commanders about how helpful they have found the book, and uh, it was an honor to to uh, contribute to to uh, fellow veterans and to our wounded, injured, and ill service members in that manner.
1: Wow, congratulations to you, Rory. Just one of your many accomplishments. So there you go. Well, if you had to name one thing, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment?
0: Uh well, I, my greatest accomplishment is, I think uh, uh comes from the students that I've trained and uh, and I think and hopefully the people with disabilities that I've um am positively affected in their lives. Uh, it's uh, um it really is about uh, paying it forward, and um, like you, Joyce, my my vision is to see that the next generation of people with disabilities has a, uh, a happier, more productive, uh, fruitful, and hopefully influential life than than you and I have.
1: Me too. Me too. That is my dream, also. Well, Rory, uh, before I ask you this last question, I just want to say uh, we really are blessed to have you as one of our leaders. Uh, you're brilliant, but you also have passion, uh, and, you know, I just admire you so much. So thank you for your service, not only to this country, but to all of us living with disabilities. Um, it really means a lot. You really are impacting lives every day.
0: Well thank you Joyce. Uh, obviously I feel the same about you. You're you're one of our uh, our great leaders as well. And um I get one thing I'm I'm happy about is I'm optimistic that there are uh, I see uh our young veterans with disabilities, uh, young students with disabilities uh, and uh have I'm optimistic that, that there's a bright future ahead for all of us and that that there will be a, a workplace and communities where everyone truly belongs in the future.
1: Me too. So, Roy. what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I guess uh, uh, two
0: messages. Um, one of them is uh, support each other, uh, whether you're a veteran or not, uh, a people with disability or not. Uh, it's important for us to uh, respect each other, uh, work to understand each other, and to help as much, other, as, much as possible, and um, and, to, and to keep up the fight. I mean, it's, we, it's uh, um, important for all of us to to uh, work to improve improve the world and improve the lives of people with disabilities and their families.
1: Well, I can amen those messages. Um, and I want to thank you again, Rory, uh, for being with us. You know, we end every show with a quote from someone who has had an impact in all of our lives in one way or another. And, you know, I love this quote because it's sort of what Rory's talking about, which is to take action. The quote is, well done is better than well said. Benjamin Franklin, how true that is. Don't talk about it. Hire someone. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week.